So as I said, we are starting a new message series this morning. It's called Stories Old and New. And the reason why we are calling it that, first of all, is that the stories we're going to tell are old. They're ancient stories. They're actually from the Old Testament. But they're not ancient stories that don't matter anymore. They're stories of our faith. And the reason why we said also stories that are new is because God's story is still continuing. And we are actually the modern-day characters in the love story of God. As I said, we are trying to build a culture here of where we share stories of what God is doing. And so we're going to have some opportunities this summer to hear from people who will share their stories of what God is doing in their life. And we decided as a preaching team this summer to use the Jesus Storybook Bible. Part of this is because we have our kids with us in worship this summer. This is probably one of the best children's storybook Bibles I've ever seen. It's not only gorgeous, the pictures are just beautiful, but it's just really well written and the theology is really good. So every week we are going to actually hear the story from this book. And so I just want to encourage you as adults to think about that sometimes there's something special about hearing an old story or a familiar story in a fresh new way. The other thing we love about this book is that it really ties the whole story together and it shows how Jesus is part of the story from the very beginning. We invite you, if you have children or grandchildren, to maybe even consider buying a copy and going through the stories um, in the, the week after the service and just talking about them at home. Today, we are starting right at the beginning. It's called The Beginning of Perfect Home, and Jan's going to read for us. A paraphrase from Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning... There was nothing. Nothing to hear. Nothing to feel. Nothing to see. Only emptiness and darkness and nothing but nothing. But God was there. And God had a wonderful plan. I'll take this emptiness, God said, and I'll fill it up. Out of the darkness, I'm going to make light. And out of nothing, I'm going to make everything. Like a mother bird flutters her wings over her eggs to help her babies hatch, God hovered over the deep, silent darkness. He was making life happen. God spoke. That's all. And whatever he said, it happened. God said, Hello, light! And light shone into the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. 
you're good, God said. And they were. Then God said, hello, sea. Hello, sky. And a great space opened up wide and deep and high. You're good, God said. And they were. Then God said, hello, land. And there, splashing up through the oceans, came cliffs, mountains, sandy beaches. You're good, God said. And they were. Hello, trees, God said. Hello, grass and flowers. And everything everywhere burst into life. He made buds bud. Shoots shoot. Flowers flower. You're good, God said. And they were. Hello, stars, God said. Hello, sun. Hello, moon. And whizzing into the darkness came fiery globes, spinning around and around, whirling orange and purple and golden planets. You're good, God said. And they were. Hello, birds, God said. And with a fluttering and flapping and chirping and singing, birds filled the skies. Hello, fish. God said, and with a darting and dashing and wriggling and splashing, fish filled the seas. You're good, God said, and they were. Then God said, hello, animals, and everyone came out to play. The earth was filled with noisy noises, growling and gobbling and snapping and snorting and happy scuffering. You're good, God said. And they were. And God saw all he had made. And he loved them. They were lovely because he loved them. But God saved the best for last. From the beginning, God had a shining dream in his heart. He would make people to share his forever happiness. They would be his children, and this world would be their perfect home. So, God breathed life into Adam and Eve. When they opened their eyes, the first thing they saw was God's face. And when God saw them, He was like a new dad. You look like me, he said. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever made. And God loved them with all his heart. And they were lovely because he loved them. And Adam and Eve joined in the song of the stars and the streams and the wind and the trees. The wonderful song of love to the one who made them. Their hearts were filled with happiness. And nothing ever made them sad or lonely or sick or afraid. And God looked at 
everything he had made. Perfect, he said. And it was. But all the stars and the mountains and the oceans and galaxies and everything were nothing compared to how much God loved his children. He would move heaven and earth to be near them, always. Whatever happened, whatever it cost him, he would always love them. And so it was that the most wonderful love story began. And so it was that the most wonderful love story began. The Bible is an incredibly unique book. It's made up of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, And those different books are all different kinds of writing. There's history, laws, poetry, wisdom literature, prophecy. There's gospels, letters, apocalyptic literature. But all together, the story of the Bible is one grand overarching story. Now, the way I was taught to remember this is that there are four big parts of the story, and it goes like this, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. So let me say that again and just flesh that out a little bit. So there's the creation, which is where the perfect love story began, the fall, which is where The love story gets broken, basically. The redemption, which is God's plan to heal the brokenness. And then the new creation, which is God's plan and promise that someday everything will be made right again. Everything will be back to perfect. So creation is where the love story begins. And today's going to feel a bit like teaching, but it's so important for us to understand it because it's the foundation of the story. Now, there's so much that could be said about the creation story. I mean, certainly we could talk about just the incredible power of our God to speak and have something come into being. We could talk about the amazing love and graciousness that God had as he created how he cared about details, both big and small. But I want to focus today on one part of the story that is just packed full of meaning. And I want to give credit to Lisa Sharon Harper and her book, The Very Good Gospel. Um, I recommend this, actually, uh, for just really fleshing out the meaning of the Hebrew translation and giving a fuller picture of the story of creation. So in the story of creation, with each day, God creates something, and at the end, he steps back and he looks at what he made, and he says, it's good. It's good. And we see this phrase, and God saw that it was good. But when he finished creating everything, he stands back and he looks at it all, 
and he says, it's very good. Now in Hebrew, the words for very good is tov me'od. Tov is good, me'od is very. It seems like we use the word very a lot in English and it doesn't always have the impact anymore that it should. This really means abundantly, almost even like a forcefully, just amazingly good. So God looks at everything he had made and says it's abundantly good. But here's a really important thing. In Hebrew and in really the Eastern understanding of goodness, goodness isn't in the thing itself. That's a very Greek way of understanding good and bad. In Hebrew, goodness rests in the relationship between things. So when God looks at his creation and says that it's abundantly good, he's looking at the whole thing and the relationships among everything there. And in the creation story, we find three primary relationships that God says are abundantly good. And so I want to unpack each of those today, and then we're going to end by just talking about why it matters. So first of all, God and humankind— So if you'll notice, in creation, with everything, God speaks and the thing comes to be. But there's actually one exception to that. In Genesis 2, verse 7, we read, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Stick with me for just a minute. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes a sec and just try to actually picture this, okay? So in creation, our powerful God speaks a word and something comes to being. But in this moment, our powerful God stoops down, takes his hands, and like a potter molding clay, starts to form something out of the dust of the ground, He forms a man and then leans in and breathes into his nostrils the very breath of God himself. It's such an intimate picture of love, isn't it? We were created by the very hands and the very breath of our loving God. You can open your eyes. And this living being that he made is different than everything else in creation. The Hebrew word for living being is nephesh. And it's important to understand what a nephesh is. It's not just that the heart is beating and that there's breath. It's the physical body, yes. But it's also that this being has a mind and has emotions and has a soul and has a personality. This is the wholeness of humankind. That is so different from the rest of creation. And this nephesh was made in the image of God himself. In Genesis 1.26, we see that actually the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all there, present at creation. And they say, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And so humans are the thing of creation that are created to be like God They're created pure and good and holy. They're created out of love, 
for love, to love. They're created for relationships, to be in relationship with God and with each other. And here's the thing, in the garden, God didn't just create the humans and then leave. He actually walked and talked with them. He wanted to be near them. He loved them so much. As we said, it's Father's Day today, and maybe the best way that we can even try to wrap our minds around the love of God is to think about how a father loves his children. Some of you are fathers or grandfathers, and you've probably had those moments, right, where you've looked at your child and you feel like your heart could honestly burst open with love for them. And you know that if your child needed you, you would try to move heaven and earth to be there for them if they needed something. God's love is all of that and so much more. Just perfect love. And so God is loving these people. And how do Adam and Eve feel? It says in Genesis 2.23, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Can you really imagine that? Shame is one of the most powerful and really dark human emotions. It's something we all struggle with. But they, in this moment in creation, there is no shame. They are walking and talking with God. God is near them. And they trust his love so much that they can just be their most vulnerable selves. And keep that little bit tucked away in your mind because next week we're going to talk about the fall and shame actually plays a big part in that story. Now there's another way that humans were created in the image of God and that is to have dominion over creation. I'm going to go back to Genesis 1.26 where God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that... They may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now the NIV actually translates that Hebrew word as rule. The word is radah. Um, Other translations use the word dominion. But here's the thing about that dominion. God is God, but we are not. So when he gives us dominion over creation, our dominion has to bow to his will. And it should be grounded in love like his is. Over the centuries, we've really come to misunderstand what dominion means. Unfortunately, we often think that means that we can use our power to take what we need from creation. And it's hard truth, but I think as American Christians, it's something we need to wrestle with. We are only 4% of the world's population, but we actually use 25% of the world's fossil fuels, coal, oil, and natural gas. And so this is why Christians have conversations about these things. In Genesis 2.15, when God puts Adam in the garden, he says, I want you to work it and take care of it. And really what he's saying is, I want you to steward it. And another way of translating that is, I want you to serve it and I want you to protect it. And so we are called to see our dominion over creation as something that is stewardship. 
God loves his beautiful created world. And he wants us to take care of it. And it's not just for the good of the earth itself, although that is something. And it's not just for the good of creatures, but it's for the good of all humanity. He gave us this world so that everybody can flourish here. And Jesus actually gave us an interesting picture of what it looked like to actually exercise dominion over creation for the good of others. So we see Jesus multiplying bread and fish in order to serve the crowds and feed the hungry. We see him taking mud out of the ground and using it to heal a blind man's eyes. And ultimately, we see him hung on a tree for the salvation of the world. Jesus showed us that the one who rules is actually the one who serves. And God has given each of us gifts. We're all created differently and uniquely. So he's given us gifts that we can specifically use to steward that creation. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. There's different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There's different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Okay, so we've talked about the perfect relationship between God and humans, and that there was this purpose and call to take care and steward creation. And there's one more relationship that we see in creation, and it's humans with each other, but specifically here, men and women. There's one thing in creation, actually, that God says is not good. In Genesis 2.18, God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. So I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. And so he starts actually by sending the birds and the animals to Adam. And as they come past, Adam's naming them. But of course, there is no suitable helper found. Because for one, these are all creatures under his dominion. They're not a nephish. These are not creatures with a soul and emotions and personality. And so God stoops down again, takes a rib out of Adam's side, and forms a woman. Now this is a really important thing to understand. The word in Hebrew for helper is azer. And it means strength or warrior. It can be used to mean in a military formation of a V, the person at the very front. In the Old Testament, this word is used 19 times, and 16 of them are actually used to describe God himself in the way that God comes in with a warrior's strength to save his people. Our understanding of helper has really been misunderstood as well over the years. It doesn't mean submission here. It doesn't mean servant. The creation story makes clear that both men and women are created in the image of God. And it makes clear that both men and women are given the same calling to exercise dominion over creation. 
Notice that God takes a bone out of Adam's side. It's symbolic. Women are meant to stand next to men, serving God's purposes together. He doesn't take it out of his foot. Girls, I actually want to speak to you directly this morning. I think it's really, really important for you to hear your pastors and your church speak truth into your life about how God created you. The world is going to tell you that your value is in what you look like. But it's not. It doesn't matter what you look like. You are created as a daughter of the Most High King. And you are beautiful because you are made in the image of God. And he deeply, deeply loves you. And the world, and honestly, sometimes the church, is going to tell you that your primary identity in life is to be a wife or a mother. And I want to tell you that many of you will become those things, and those are wonderful, holy callings. But it is not your primary identity. There are women who are not married, some by choosing and some not. There are women who are not mothers. Again, some by choice, but some not. And I'm guessing that there's somebody here today that needs to be reminded of the truth that your primary identity is not in being one of those roles. It is in being a daughter of the Most High King. You were created to be part of God's story, to stand next to men, and to live fully into who you are. This past uh, week, I actually stopped by Synod and bought t-shirts for my daughter Lauren and all of my nieces that say, Miriam, Abigail, Ruth and Naomi, Rahab, Priscilla, Lydia, Phoebe, and me. And Lauren had this on at the neighborhood open house the other night, and Betty Jo said to her, Lauren, tell me about your t-shirt. And Lauren, who's 10, said, well, all of these women are heroes of the faith. And at the bottom it says me, and I'm part of that story too. Girls, you are strong Azer warriors. God adores you, and he created you unique. There is only one you, and this world needs you to live fully into who you are. So with all of these relationships, why does any of this matter? Why does the creation story matter? Well, it matters because it gives us a vision of the shalom that God intended. In the beginning, there was peace and there was wholeness. All things were working together in the way that they were supposed to. Unfortunately, that shalom didn't last. We're going to talk about that next week. Shalom was broken in the fall, and because everything's connected, when one thing breaks, everything's affected. And so every relationship has been affected. Our relationship with God, our relationship with the earth, with creatures, and with each other. But remember the other parts of the story. There's redemption, and then there's new creation. 
So this is the good news of the gospel. First of all, that Jesus comes and restores the brokenness of our relationship with God. That's first and foremost. But it's also good news that he's going to make everything else right as well. He's going to restore all of the broken relationships. And this is where it matters that we're the modern-day characters in the story. Because right now, we're living in the time of the redemption. Jesus came and started it, but we're not to the new creation yet. And so we are called and asked by God to be part of bringing shalom back into the world. You know, in the church, we don't often talk about exercising dominion, like I was saying today. But we do talk about kingdom building, right? It's basically the same thing. It's using our dominion, using the gifts God has given us to bring and restore shalom back to the world. And so when we talk about kingdom building, we're talking about restoring shalom. This is why Christians care about sharing the hope of the gospel. Because we want to see people restored back into a loving relationship with God. This is why Christians care about creation. Because we know that there's some brokenness there and we want to steward well our environment so that it can be good for all. And this is why Christians are involved in matters of social justice. Because we want to have a world where everybody has the freedom and the safety and the resources needed to live fully into who God created them to be. Friends, it gives us a vision. When we look at the first creation, it gives us a vision of what was and what is to come. A vision of a world in which God is so near, in which we know how deeply loved we are, where every person realizes that they are beautiful and created in the image of God. It's a world in which there's no war, a world in which there are no refugees because everybody's safe in their own land. It's a world in which women and children are not abused and where people are not sold into slavery. It's a world without racism and oppression because all things are made right again. And friends, sometimes I need to look back at the vision of creation because it gives me hope. Because the world can sometimes feel like a pretty dark place. But we know that God is making things new and he has promised that the new creation is coming. And so we live as people in the redemption time looking forward to the hope that is yet to come. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, you created us out of love and for love. And God, this is a story that maybe some of us have heard so many times, and yet it is good to be reminded again of how much you love us, that you have called us to steward your land, and that you have called us to stand together as brothers and sisters in Christ and to fulfill your purposes in the world. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for beginning the love story 
and continuing it now. In your name we pray, amen.